What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with my co-pilot, Kyle. And today we're going to be talking part three of the Apple TV Plus limited series, Masters of the Air. A couple housekeeping items. We are Bingetown TV. This is your first time with us or the first show that you have followed us for. I would like to reroute you over to BingetownTV.com. That will have our entire library of backdated shows that we have covered. I mean, we've hit a lot. Sci-fi fantasy is kind of our bag, but we're covering Masters of the Air, so we kind of just do whatever the hell we want. Currently, we're covering True Detective over on HBO, The Traders on Peacock, Reacher just finished up on Amazon Prime. Couple anime, solo leveling. Looking ahead to the future, we have Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix and Shogun coming out on FX. Kyle, I saw your eyebrows shoot up at that mention of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. So Yeah, we're, we're kind of locked into that one. Our excitement levels have declined, I would say, maybe over the past couple of weeks. We'll just see what happens with that one. We'll be covering yes. it. I think they just got to find a new marketing lead because some of these quotes coming out are very suspect, yeah, but we are Bingetown TV. It's not just me and Kyle. We got five other hosts. So hopefully you enjoy listening to me and Kyle, but if not, we got a couple other people that yeah. relieve us of our hosting duties. So that's us. Go on over to BingetownTV.com and check us out. But yes. We are now in part three of Masters of the Air. And another way of saying that is it is our third time in the sawmill, boys. Yeah, it is. And holy shit, what a time this one was. Not not great. Not great for the boys, but just compelling television. Again, just another what I thought was a fantastic episode. We've, we've lost more of the boys. We've been through probably the worst let's say mission they sur- whoever survived i'm sure is i mean what a feeling they're probably having we got some crazy scenes in this episode so a lot of a lot of good stuff to talk about definitely i think this is the first time we saw buck showing a little yeah. bit of being rattled but we'll get to that it was not unexpected that we were going to lose some people, and I think it was intentional that they dropped part one and two together so we didn't have to kind of stretch out over two weeks meeting everybody, getting accustomed to what it was going to be. They kind of got that all out of the way on that first week of drops, yeah. and now we're in part three, pivoting to the largest air operation ever is what Harding refers to it as and that kind of brings us to our opening scene there really isn't any exchanging of pleasantries i don't know what you want to say it is we have seen how they get waking up on mission day and scene one is chick harding giving them the brief on the mission and he doesn't hold any punches he said you know just a year ago a little bit over a year ago the maximum effort operation of the united states air force was 12 B-17 bombers, and they're chuckling because that has kind of become their routine mission, going out with about a dozen bombers. And now he lays it out. Today's mission is going to include 376 heavy bombers as well as 240 fighters, and those are going to be spread across three task forces. And he explains the mission. It's essentially the three task forces 
the 100th is going to be in the first task force that is going to be paving the way. And they are hitting the Messerschmitt 109 engine assembly plan in Regensburg, which is deep in Kraut territory. Oh, we are yeah. going into the heart of the German war machine. And then the second and third task force are supposed to kind of come in and hit ball bearing plans as harding says no war machine moves without ball bearings yeah i mean he said that and i was like that makes a lot of sense i could see yes this whole scene is just harding painting the picture of this is a massive operation if we accomplish our goals this could be big for us we could set back german production by a matter of months But he's also being transparent. Listen, we are not only the first task force, which our job is essentially to pave the way and take the brunt of it. He also says we're tail end Charlie. So I think their specific wing of the first task force is towards the rear. So as he's going through this mission, the stakes are high. It is massive in scale. And we are kind of in the most vulnerable position of the whole shebang. So. All the boys are cheering when they say, oh, it's in Regensburg, but then they see the map and there's kind of a couple pale faces, you know, our lives ain't worth a nickel. Everybody knows what the deal is. Yeah. I mean, the the red line, Kurt Biddick points it out when he's like, why does he go to Africa? It's an astute question for sure. <laughs> and then and they, they comment on just like how much they're going to be flying over, you know, German territory. And it's just. Again, at this point, they know what the deal is. They've been up in the air before, so they understand kind of. Yeah. Doesn't really necessarily need to be said. They're all feeling it, like you said. And the silver lining here is that, yes, we are going to take the brunt of the initial attack, but the utility of the second and third task force is that when the Germans have to go back to refuel, they shouldn't be able to just come back for seconds on us. The second and third should be able to clean up and cover us. So once they get to the IP in theory, they should have smooth sailing through South Germany and over to Africa. And that's the plan. I believe it was our, our history teacher, Mr. Hunter always said that a plan sounds great until it's time to carry out the plan. And then everything goes out the window. And I'm sure there's a million people that have said some iteration of that. Yeah, yeah, they didn't plan for the soup. Didn't, didn't plan, plan for well the soup. Enough. Didn't plan well enough for this thick of soup. Well, you can't plan for the soup. The soup's just going to make itself known yeah. and, and throw a wrench in your plans. Oh, a couple other things to highlight. So the new air exec, Jack Kidd, it is Major Kid. We finally get a last name for him. He is going to be leading the shebang. But Harding emphasizes that Egan, Bucky, is going to be assuming the role of reserve command pilot and everybody kind of is like what is that that's not a real thing and even buck's like bucky do you have any explanation for this did you have your fingerprints on and he's like oh i don't don't know yeah and we find out that he was not missing this mission massive scale maximum effort he he's got to be up there yeah he puts a shift in too obviously we'll talk about it but he puts a shift in up there so it was good that he was there absolutely so As Kyle mentioned, there is some soup, at least for takeoff. It seems once they get up in the air, the skies were relatively clear, but they keep getting delayed half an hour, an hour, whatever it may be. I thought this was one of the strongest scenes of it. I couldn't imagine, you know, everybody knows what's going on. We've been over the massive scale of this mission, but being told, 
you gotta wait and just yeah. just simmer in it and think about every possibility. It must have been torture, but it was kind of cool how they went from plane to plane to see how the different majors and yeah. and commanders and pilots were handling the situation. It was funny too that some crews were in their planes like fully. Yeah, ready to go. and obviously there's probably a little bit of a time disparity type of deal, but then like Bucky's laying on the ground reading. Bucks, you know, staring off in melancholy into the soup. Kurt's literally just walking around, just making conversation with people. Yeah. So it was interesting yeah, to see how they all dealt with what was going on. I would just be fucking freaking out. What can you do? I mean, yeah. I've been nervous, not for war, obviously, but like for a job interview or, yeah. a, or a big test in college. And I, I just try and pass time. There's nothing more you can do to prepare. Yeah. You just try not to think about it. At least that's how I would choose to approach it yeah. i thought it was funny when kurt was like yeah they're antsy and then later he says i gotta get back to the ant farm yeah I just <laughs> took that that phrase very literally but it i was think good too that they threw in the cheeky where the the one guy is saying you know why can't we just go out essentially and yeah and quinn it was quinn i i didn't the know redhead. what the yeah, yes, Quinn is the redhead. Was saying like, I'll, I'll fucking turn your cow into ground meat. But that was, yeah. I mean, Quinn obviously just mentions at this point the the relative fragility mm -hmm. of the plane itself, which is not incredibly reassuring. But obviously, it, it can only be so heavy to fly. So, and then we get to we flash to the when we get to the mission itself, we're witnessing the fragility of this aluminum tin can that just is fucking flying through the air and getting the shit kicked yeah. out of it. So that was good because I'm I was even shocked to think that if they hit a cow, like they would be fucked, you know, because you would think it makes they're sense. big. You'd think they're big, like they would just run that thing over. But yeah, I mean, they're big, but it makes sense when you think the whole point of a plane is to keep it up in the air as long as possible. And you want it to be light in order to achieve that goal, at least. But yeah, no, they are not made for collisions. I, I like this scene because for me, it was kind of. It a little bit showed the different officers approaches to just commanding other men. I mean, you said, you know, some people were in their plane, some were off. Bucky is the most lax to the group, and he's just like chilling under the plane reading a book. But I think it was Major Kid who had his people in the plane. And I believe that was Kid was flying with Blakely and he had Cross as the navigator. Okay. So that's kind of what what the teams are here. But just differences in the officer's techniques, I suppose. Yes. No, for sure. So then we get the word LeMay, who we have had a name drop of him before. I'm sure we are going to get a face to the name LeMay, but he's just a head honcho. He wants wheels up. He wants the first task force to go out. And regardless of the second and third and Harding knows, yeah. he's like, literally says we're sending them in to hell alone by themselves. They do not have the backup that we were planning to have. And roll credits yeah the only thing i could think <laughs> of in this scene was uh, how would that feel man it would just feel fucking terrible obviously we'll get the aftermath more in detail i would assume next episode but just like given the order to shoot that flare up and being like i'm technically the one giving this order to send them out when i know right they'll have literally no backup and then we get into the mission and they're flying and now the pilots are realizing that like, okay, literally there's no other task force here. Like it's literally just us type of deal would be like, oh my gosh. That goes back to our conversation about chain of command. And I yeah. think that's going to be a recurring theme. If 
if you're in Harding's position, there's always a bigger dog on top of you that's going to have to make those calls. And I'm sure at a certain point, the higher you go, each infantryman is really just a number. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, that's the reality of it. And you're going to have to accept those losses. But when you're actually in the squad, it's it's way more bigger deal than that. But that sets the tone for the rest of the episode. That is all the pre-mission. And then, boy, the rest of this episode is just the mission. And it is crazy. After the credits, we really just joined the entire first task squad. This was a pretty cool shot because they are already taking flack. I I thought it was nice that the past two episodes were just introducing us to flack as a concept. And now it's just, okay, we're in it. We we know what it is. Yeah, the impact of it was much less in this episode. They also, I think, even mentioned, too, that it wasn't like... I guess for lack of a better term, the the Nazis' hearts weren't really in it when they were utilizing the flak here because I guess they knew that they were setting up. This was, I feel like, the most enemy planes that we've seen. Yes, keeping it engagement. light, keeping it light for the fighters, absolutely. Yeah. And sure enough, the fighters do come, and you know we have one of these awesome dogfights again. But I think the highlight of the first part of the mission is some of these bombers go down, but shoots do deploy. Mm-hmm. So. That happens with a couple of them, and they're always confirming the number of shoots that they see. You're obviously hoping for all 10 to go off, but then we have kind of an inside look about what that looks like inside a B-17 bomber when the pilot has to make the call, the alarms are blaring, and, you know, abandon ship, abandon ship. Just right through and, the, I guess it's the bomb bay. I don't know what that is. And they're just cannonball and yeah. <laughs> through it. It doesn't. I mean, obviously, it's an emergency and you're getting out, but it, it's just fucking it just in that the heat of that moment. Obviously, you have so much adrenaline running and all that stuff. Yeah. too. But I mean, just one minute you're in the plane firing the shit out of that machine gun fighting for your life. And now you're just in the air, like hoping you land somewhere somewhat. Not Germany, <laughs> not hostile, yeah. I guess. Like Jesus Christ. And I mean, talk about a- it too. That they're like you mentioned, they're confirming shoots and stuff, and they're trying. I think the navigators, the radio people, to like confirm locations and timing and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But there's so much shit going on. It just it's just a mess. Well, they have the line drop later when Cross is like, "Oh, when did Kurt go down?" And the guy's like, "Cross, dude, you can." get this one fudge the numbers on this one essentially (laughs) like no no navigator in this entire squad is running the numbers like you but that's that's who cross is and we'll get to it and Mm -hmm. we cannot glaze over this just harrowing scene where quinn has to leave babyface and kind of the bomb door it's it's just jammed it's going down it it is what it is you know just terrible it it is awful and it seems i don't know like i guess Babyface is is he all and again I don't know if you know the answer to this but they seem to have somewhat typical roles so I guess Babyface is just like the the ball turret underneath guy for that crew type of deal because I, I was just curious if he like just happened to draw the short stick that day and you just like that's just unfortunate obviously it seems like most of them have their set roles. So that's maybe something we could confirm for the next episode. But I mean, I'm sure they're not changing the bombardier. There's a yeah. pilot and a co-pilot. You know, I'm sure the two machine gunmen are the same. So yeah. I, I would imagine those are set roles. And it's such a shame, too, because they probably could have gotten him out, Quinn. But I mean, they're fighting the G-forces, too, because then it's going into a tailspin and they're getting tossed around inside of there. And it's just, oh, my God. I mean, you got to wonder, had 
had he kind of raised his situation when all 10 people were still on board, maybe the pilot could have kept it afloat and level. Yeah. So like more people could hit him, but he didn't really like say anything until it was just him and Quinn. But like watching that play out of the course of 45 seconds was just terrible. Fucking I hated awful. it. Yeah. And then and of course it's baby face who like has a baby face. So he's yeah, like the youngest guy. Worse. <laughs> I know. It, it, somehow worse. it made it worse. Yeah, no, for sure. And then I guess we'll see. Quinn obviously has his own situation that he's going to have to deal with, which Absolutely. I'm quite interested in. I'm very interested in, but I think that emotional aspect of the baby face is going to be interesting to see as well. Cause I obviously, he, I think is probably going to feel hard on himself. Oh, how that weighs on him. I mean, yeah. to be fair, the whole plane blew up right when he yeah. jumped out. Yeah. So that was a little bit validating that he made the right call. I mean, yeah. in that scenario, just attempting and giving it the old college try, which there's a life on the line, so I don't want to downplay it, but yeah. it's an impossible scenario. Whew. We'll see how Quinn does on the ground, though. That That is absolutely an interesting storyline going forward. Yeah. So tying that up, that was kind of Bucky's V formation that was being picked off by the fighters. They take out his entire second element, which I think is just one of the straight lines in the V formation. So Buck says, all right, there's just three of us. We got to meet up with, I think it was the 349th or something like that for some cover. Yeah. So yeah. he speeds it up. And then we get a cut to Harding back at base who hears the news that the entire Luftwaffe throughout Germany has been scrambled. And he's like, for Christ's sakes, we're still three hours away from our IAP. Yeah, just terrible. They're moving them on the map. It's, again, like I said before the mission started, just how much that would weigh on you as a commanding officer who te- like doesn't really have a choice. But mm-hmm. still, like you know that you're kind of this personal liaison to all of these people who are up in the air i'm sure it's just like he probably had the clenchedest butthole ever for this you know eight to 12 hours whatever it ended up being i mean what i will say is i'm very glad that harding is now the commanding officer of the 100th i'm not sure i already forget the previous hundig or something yeah the previous guy was just a hard ass so we wouldn't have gotten that kind of him wrestling with the decision Mm -hmm. i think he just would have sent the troops in yeah though i digress so the next scene we got to talk about is kurt oh and i think that's the biggest mystery it's it does end with him exploding it but we have this very like dramatic sequence where dicky his co-pilot gets shot up by a fighter is leaning on the controls like they know that they're losing the fort and he gets someone from the back to kind of get Dickie off the controls. They find out he's still breathing. Kurt valiantly says, yo, you guys shoot away. I'm going to try and land this thing. Yeah. Because that's Dickie's only chance. I think like the the very innocent like, oh, where he's like realizing, yes, like I'm literally about to die and fucking yep. crash this plane type of thing was wild. That was a crazy addition to this scene. I just, I mean, I think for sure he's gone tough i it's just it's hard because they made us love him they gave us the scare in episode two which they got out of which turned into one of like the best yeah. scenes with him and the scotsman and all that kind of stuff but we knew this was eventually going to start happening i guess two characters that we were more accustomed to just as time goes on we're getting accustomed to more characters i this was probably the best character to do it with theoretically i will miss him obviously tremendously but 
this just you are one hundred percent. You are one hundred percent confirmed that he is dead. That's how I'm feeling for sure. I feel like we have the Quinn and Quinn storyline will be like the guy who made it to the ground and like has to deal with getting back home. Yeah, type of thing. I don't know if we'll have space for multiple of those plus like the actual main squad of boys. That's how I'm feeling about it. It would be very, I agree with you. It would be very powerful already three episodes in if we lost Kurt. Yeah. He has really endeared himself to us as the audience is kind of one of the, the lighter presences in this yeah. show. And it just shows you that, I mean, I don't know if we were thinking that anybody had plot armor, but this is fucking war. I mean, the guys you like, you know, the glue guys, the guys that are quiet, all of those people are, you know, equal opportunity to just be here today, gone tomorrow. So. Well, love it or hate it, there is no plot armor because the plot we're referring to oh, is true. literally history yeah, in this yes, textbook. I did look it up. Most, if not all, of our named characters were real people. So cool. I would imagine they are not taking too many liberties other than to just make every sequence more dramatic yeah. than it needs to be. But these are real stories, real people from history, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I guess shout out to the navigators and the radio men and everyone who was you know i guess to the investigators that were taking all of the the notes and recording all this type of stuff that obviously mm -hmm. it's a an unfortunate history but it's important i think that we know all of these things for sure absolutely so hurt seemingly explodes on impact off-screen death I, i'm holding out hope one one small little bit of hope just because i like the guy speaking of the historical accuracy thing too i I read, I believe, on the internet, obviously, that Dickie, the real life Dickie, like made it out, was like on the wing of the plane, and like something happened to him, and like that's how he died. Damn, is like getting shot in and and going down in the explosion like that. So that would well, I wish they kind of did that because that's a way cooler way to go. That's a wild way to go. I mean, they gave us quickly i think it, i don't know if it happens exactly right here but we're kind of talking about everything at once of mm -hmm. the guy gets cut in half by buck's plane wing the right wing the guy who's like falling I through did the see air that. Yeah. yeah and it just gets cut right in half and they just watch it and i was like oh my god yeah <laughs> okay that actually kind of brings us to there was this really cool they just took 20 seconds to give us from the pov of cross in the gunner spot which was nice to see cross manning a machine gun that was cool and also buck just kind of looking at the dog fights around him like all the streamline like there is a beauty to the chaos if you had the luxury of taking 10 seconds to just look out and observe it it, it was really cool yeah, that's all I'm trying to say. And yeah, I, I'm, I appreciate well the show taking shot. the time to do it. Yeah, well placed shot for sure. And ugh, Buck is, I mean, his planes beat the fuck up too. They took multiple like, actual missiles through the plane. They did, yeah. Yeah, so, I, they were saying missiles. And I was like, okay, I don't remember missiles in the last episode. Well, I believe rocket is the appropriate term that mm -hmm. they were using. But yeah, and he does lose one of his 10 men. I think there were guy. two Normans. Yeah, Norman Smith, but also there was a guy named Norman and Stroud were the other two that did survive. And the whole while, Buck is having to not convince. He is pulling rank and insisting to his co-pilot that they are not abandoning this mission, which is just another emphasis of the type of leader that he is. He's a textbook 
we got a mission to do. We got a job to do. We're going to do it until we physically cannot do it anymore. Someone posted his like a biography, a synopsis of the mission for him, like the official, mm -hmm. I think, from the military. And it just it talks about like they took a shell, you know, at this time, approximately 30 minutes later, they took another 20 minutes. 20 mm or whatever 20 mm shell on the right side of the plane that damaged the electrical system and then it talks about the the radio operator bled the death after his legs were severed above mm. the knees and then it, it says quote you son of a bitch you sit there and take it these strong words were heard over the interphone and had a magical effect on the crew they stuck to their guns the airplane continued to the target bombed it and reached the naval base in north africa it's crazy. Like actual line, like all that happened, like the, the pilot was the co-pilot was trying to get him to abandon ship and he was not having it and just like crazy stuff. It's just that like that confidence, that crazy confidence that like I I would be on team like, let's get the fuck out of this bitch. So it's leadership. I mean, in that situation, no man in that ship has a precedence and knows, oh, I've been here before. Like yeah. this is the time to bail out. They are just looking to someone who is faking to know what they are doing. And I mean, Clevens is the guy. He yeah, is that leader. And sometimes you just need someone to grab you by the scruff of the neck and be like, nah, we're going to do this until we are physically shot out of the air. And I mean, sure enough, he was right the whole time. Yeah. Crazy shit. So Buck is sticking with the mission and we get a little bit of a reprieve from the action when the crowds have to go back to refuel. And we just have this clip of Bucky who has since manned the gun station from his, Post is just an observationist. I guess he was an yeah. 11th on the crew. He's like, yo, Murph, I'm taking this gun, buddy. <laughs> Good shit. I mean, and he's he gets a couple. I, he's I, at least someone that mentions I got that son of a bitch. The one thing I'm mm -hmm. thinking also throughout all of this is how are they not hitting each other with these bullets? Because they're playing like they're saying like this tight formation is, is good for our defense, but those things have a pretty decent swivel and like up and down. Like, I don't know. I mean, it would be, I feel like it would be hard not to just like start fucking loading up the plane next to you a little bit. We could probably do a little bit of research into this, but I'm sure the formations take yeah, that. That's true. Into account, you know, that wouldn't in, position themselves. If you're in that kind of Chevron V formation, yeah. you have a clear view of what's and it's part of your squad and what isn't. Yeah. You can use height to your advantage and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And it seems like they never really have two squads of like six very, very close to each yep. other. That's kind of been a plot point that while they are all together, there is a little bit of space between the the V formations mm -hmm. of six. So I like to think that they take that into account, kind of keep a yeah. formation that gives us good defense, but also avoids friendly fire oh yeah yeah as, as a layman you know quarterback and from the couch feels like eh, okay watch it guys yeah exactly yeah. careful with the friendly fire there mm. have you ever thought that our generation would be really nice in the gunship just because like we had call of duty <laughs> i mean i guess we we've in terms extra, of aiming we've got some extra hours on the simulator yeah that makes sense to me i guess if you gave us the basic training of how to use it and how not to be a complete punk in the moment yeah, but our generation is complete punks. That's the thing. <laughs> We're punks down to our core. Yeah, punks in the moment. We got, we got the the, uh, the hand-eye coordination, but everything else, the older <laughs> generation, greater than millennials yeah. and Gen Gen Z. I almost said Gen V. Watch our Gen V coverage. <laughs> yeah, we also cover Gen Find V that. the boys. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go.
There you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So bombs away. Mission accomplished. I thought it was very serendipitous that the crowds go back to refuel exactly when they approach the target. But hey, I'm not complaining. It's when you have losses like this, even as an audience member, it is nice to at least see that the mission was a success. So the yeah. losses aren't for nothing. Yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, we do. We do have a quick catch up with Quinn on the ground who runs into a family speaking French and he's playing for the good guys. He's American, which is good. And they're not German. So it's good on both sides. So that is a positive for Quinn. Yeah, that storyline. I'm so intrigued by. I watched a little bit of the preview. I'm poof. I I dare to say that's now I think my most. It's definitely the story that I'm the most interested in. I am want to make almost a prediction that i think it's going to become my favorite storyline well you know the missions in the air they're exciting they're intense but i think the show needed a little bit more of a variety than the goggle rinse repeat yeah briefing we, of a mission get up in the air safely land take a yeah. deep breath now yeah i'm excited to follow because i mean obviously that was an important part of a life i guess you could say as a member of the air force this was always a possibility that this could happen to you and mm -hmm. you would be kind of lost in the sauce behind enemy lines so i'm excited that they're adding it into this because i'm very interested in that this is gonna sound dumb but i'm wondering if like it would be a benefit or a hindrance to experience that kind of parachuting down in enemy territory back in the day where there is a big lack of communication or in present day, if you could just pick up a cell phone and like call HQ or something like that and kind of get a rendezvous. Yeah, I guess it's hard. I feel like it would be easier to find you nowadays, both in the negative and the positive. Yeah. So I feel like maybe it would be better back then, but I don't know. Then you also don't really know much. Like yeah. How much does Quinn know about France? Probably not much. It's near Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's what he's got. <laughs> that's one of the things I keep having to remember. How much would Quinn know about France? Yeah. He's probably like 19, 21 years old in the 40s. I don't know. It's, it's a crazy situation to try and wrap your head around. And why don't we just knock out that other scene where the family does choose to help him? So they bring in a guy who essentially says, turn around, you're going to forget my face and you have a choice right now. If you surrender to the Germans, they will treat you as a prisoner of war under the Geneva Convention and you, in all likelihood, will survive the war. You'll just be locked up for the duration of the war. However, if you come with me, I will attempt to help you escape to England. But if we get caught, if you get caught, you're going to be executed. Yeah, foof. Yeah, I mean, that's the fucking ultimatum of the century right there. I just I just feel like in the moment, especially obviously it's easy for us with hindsight, but in the moment for him, I'm sure they've been so properly, in a sense, propagandized against the Nazi war machine that I right. just wouldn't believe that you could survive as a prisoner. And that's what I'm thinking. They have been pumping them full of that propaganda. I'm sure all of them do not expect to be treated very well in a POW yeah. camp. Yeah. So I don't really know about anything of how actual like combatants that were captured were treated in World War yeah. II in the European theater, but I can't imagine it was actually as, as kind of obviously it's not simple as you'll survive the war type of deal, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think that option is, is necessarily obviously as easy as it sounds. 
Yeah, it's a tough one. And that's really the end of Quinn's yeah. episode here. He is presented with the choice surrender or escape. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of a love interest with the girl. Oh, you won't think last so? long? Won't last long, but no, it won't. Yeah. And he was in Flanders, Belgium, I believe. However, the the family was speaking French to him. And I was kind of looking at it. So they probably did fly over Belgium and then a straight shot south through Germany. Okay. Well, I mean, being in Belgium is probably worse than being in like the heart of France. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. We're rooting for you, Quinn. Rooting rooting for for you, Quinn. Absolutely. So that's really the end of the fighting for this episode. We don't. The hundredth, at least, doesn't experience any more German fighters. The anxiety comes from everybody took some damage during the first part of the mission, and they're all just trying to get to Africa. And they're kind of looking around for a status update, and they're just kind of seeing fortresses one by one fall out of the sky, whether it's they're leaking fuel, they're losing an engine, fortresses are falling out of the sky, and they're getting shoots deployed, but we kind of follow this from the perspective of Bucky, excuse me, Buck, who has a damaged fort, but just refuses to go down. And I, what a cool idea. Just literally get rid of everything that isn't bolted down. Yeah. And the, the bomber is like my Norden bomb site. <laughs> but he was right. It's like we're over the Mediterranean Ocean, like or Mediterranean Sea. And that would be the perfect. You can't really fight back against that reasoning. Because like we talked about last episode, it's. Akin, it's it's number two behind the atomic bomb in terms of secrecy yeah. and you know technological development in the war. So I, I just enjoyed that scene because it just gave a lot of credence to that mm-hmm. that talk from uh, the last episode. I was only nervous because the Germans were notorious for their U-boats, you know. So I'm wondering what sort of radar they would have had back in the day. I'm sure they couldn't find a small Norden bomb yeah. site at the bottom of the Mediterranean. Or whatever see it may have been. <laughs> We're going to have to brush yeah. up on our geography there, Kyle. Well, also what I was thinking is, so we kind of get two different types of of planes bailing out and going down. It's people, mm-hmm. some did it over land, which feels like worse than people who did it over the water. Because the land was like deep. That was d- way deeper than Flanders, Belgium. Yeah. That feels like well, the worst place to have gone down. Would you rather go down and be on land and take your chances there? Or would you rather take your chances in the middle of the sea, 350 miles from land? I guess, well, we talked about what they were like doing all the coordinate stuff of where and what time people went down. I feel like they mm-hmm. could, it would be easier to get rescued at sea. Because the, um, what- the, the ocean itself is, I feel like, more fair of a playground Yeah, than you know, north, you know, northern Italy. I hope we get some closure on that in the next episode. Maybe we have a scene where Cross says, yo, so-and-so's plane went down 350 miles. They should be thereabouts. Yeah. And maybe they send a plane from Africa to go and try and pick those guys up. I'm just yeah. like, because what would the logistics of that look like? Yeah. And obviously that had to be an important part of the war effort. Because as we know, a lot of planes were going the fuck down. They were throwing them up yeah. there, just kind of throwing shit at the wall. And they knew that a lot of them wouldn't come back. So that would and be that's nice. another thing. That's another thing that goes back to what I was bringing up. Would it be better to have done it back in the 40s or back? Yeah, I'm sorry, not back, but in present time with technology, I'm sure they could just send out a beacon or whatever. And someone would know exactly where they are precisely. 
maybe the enemies would be able to pick up that beacon. So it's just a race against time. Is it the good guys or the bad guys that that encounter you first? It's that's just so tough. Sheesh. I feel like maybe back in the day, I'm still leaning going down in the 40s versus going down now. That's my take. Final answer. Okay. Okay. Final answer. I like it. I like it. So, yeah, I mean, we lose a couple on the way, not from combat, just from, you know, the fortresses can't make it. Buck is doing his best to get them to Africa. And we do have all of the ships finally see the coastline. And we have this kind of tense scene where it's it's from Major Kid's ship. And he's getting a little stern with Cross. He's like, yo, Cross, we are in rough shape right now. Where is the base? We cannot mess this up even by a little bit because we're going to have to emergency land on the sand there. That's our alternative. And our boy Cross is starting to get his feet underneath him a little bit more. It's nice to see him uh, as sure as I can read him right, boys. 184. Yeah, and yeah. We didn't really talk about that ship when they were in the soup at base before the mission. Their ship was talking about this riddle, okay? There's a fork in the road. You're presented with one road that leads to Valhalla and the other road leads to hell. And there are two goblins. One is a little always tells the truth and the other is a little trickster. What is the one question you can ask that ensures that you will get the right answer to go to Valhalla, essentially? And that brings us here. Cross says 184. That's the answer, boys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you took that as that was the the answer to the riddle. No, no. I, I oh, mean, okay. at the end, they kind of talk about <laughs> okay. it. And Cross is like, what was the actual answer? He's like, ah, I was hoping you would tell me. Yeah, but, okay, okay. But okay. they kind of are encountered with a mountain, I think, and have to choose, do we bear left or right? And they say, fork in the road, Cross, what's, you know, what's oh, it going to be, Valhalla or hell? Well. And Cross, still in his serious mood, he says, 184. That is the right answer. Those numbers are right. Yes, and then they land. And they say we're like welcome mm. to Valhalla or whatever. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> At that Fuck point, yeah. making it to a friendly air base would feel like Valhalla. One hundred and ten percent. Okay, now it's really clicking. It's really clicking. Thank you for I'm that. I'm telling you, man. This show. Yeah. So no, that's good. Roz nails the number. I think it's the the gunman says. 12 o'clock and some change. And they're yeah. like, close enough, Crosby, <laughs> close enough. That will do, pig. So That'll quick kiss for the snow globe by, by Cross. His yeah. job is done. Safely got his boys back. Landing in Africa just looks cool as hell. I I think I kind of forget that Africa would have been part of, Oh yeah, I guess, a different theater of the war. Oh, European, yeah. Asian Island, or Pacific, and then... Kind of northern Africa, especially Italy was part of the war. So Yeah, there's trying to think of pulling out some random knowledge of like like a general Rommel and Northern Africa. I feel like it rings a lot of bells for me in World War II of like significant a significant engagement in Northern Africa. So I don't think we'll get that here. I don't know if the Air Force was involved at all, but yeah, it's nice. I, I was this was I think the first time that I was really like, okay, this is clearly CGI, like the volume screen. Mm. They're not on location anywhere. They're like in a studio type of thing. It's whatever. Yeah. It didn't really matter so much. I I was really more focused on the adrenaline of of the mission finishing and you know Buck's landing, especially and all that kind of stuff. But I just we told we discussed last episode about how people had CGI problems, and this was the yeah. only time for me that I really noticed anything like that 
I'm starting to accept CGI is going to be pretty pervasive in this series. And to that end, the CGI has looked very, very yeah. good. So as long as it's top quality CGI, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I was also just kind of appreciating the contrast between these these B-17 bombers flying over just the lush jungle and sands of Africa. I just thought that was kind of a setting that I never really... Oh, for sure equated to world war ii air force a mission like this it was just really cool mm -hmm. and of course that brings us to most of the fortresses that we still have are able to make a clean landing except for buck who was completely out of fuel they have gone bone dry lost an engine then another one they are they are just a glider now yeah. and our boy <laughs> no engine clevens lives up to the motherfucking name <laughs> i mean the co-pilot's annoying, and I hate to say that because that is actually the actor from Shadow and Bone who plays the oh, character shit. Kaz Brecker, but he kind of plays not an antagonist, but someone who doesn't 100% seem ready for the moment here, and I'm just glad he was with Buck. Even yeah. holding off the landing gear, Buck is just, he's just sure of himself, man. He believes in himself and his men. He just feels like he has such a feel for aviation. Mm -hmm. as a whole everything about it, every aspect of it even like i feel like okay i if you're in the air force i think you would understand the concept of ditching a lot of the stuff that isn't bolted down over the ocean to like yeah. reduce your weight but even to go as far into this exact moment where with the landing gear at the timing of it it just shows that he's just he's that guy he is that guy absolutely and Buck allows himself a heavy sigh when they finally touch down and are safely in Africa. And I am that is the first time my butthole unclenched since they were really started the mission. <laughs> yeah. I was really into this episode. Yeah. Because we we did lose a couple fortresses. I didn't know who was fair game. I, I have a feeling Buck and Bucky have actual plot armor, or shall we call it history armor? Yeah. But this was an intense sequence. I I thought it was a great episode and just being able to have that heavy sigh was nice. Kraz finally, I'm surprised he is the first person we have seen like physically bow yeah. down and kiss land once yeah. they land. He was and, dying to do that. You could tell. Oh my gosh. He was dying <laughs> to do that. And that's really our episode. Like I said at the beginning, this is the first time where we see Buck kind of allow himself a moment to just feel the feelings of the aftermath and really kind of show that the chaos and losing men and just everything that he experienced is affecting him. And it's shown because Bucky comes up and says says something bucky asked like what you missed the runway really you made it all the way to africa but you couldn't make it exactly to the runway and bucks just kind of like give me a second here boss and yeah, then they yeah. have a a very star wars a new hope-esque silhouette in the african sunset yeah i'm really excited as well for what types of changes we're gonna get out of buck i think we'll get there with bucky Eventually as well, I think war will unfortunately grind him down as well. Obviously, he has that very boisterous personality. Yeah. We'll see how long he can keep that up over you know the course of months, years, missions, losses, all of those kinds of things. And we know that Buck doesn't really talk a lot. He doesn't seem to, at this point, have like a very wide range of emotions. So I think this episode 
is going to be great for just character development. Yeah. We've made space, which is a feels like an insensitive way to say it, but there's more space in the show at this point. We talked last episode as well, though, about how Banner Brothers space was made and that just gets filled because in war, mm-hmm. obviously, you lose people. You just get more people yep. to fill those spots. So we'll see how that aspect goes. But I'm excited to see if this like stoic, chill type of quiet leadership nature changes at all. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think you nailed it. This is a good episode for character development. Bucky immediately when he sees Buck says, yo, did you see a shoot for Kurt? Oh, and yes. Buck can confirm it. So I th- I think Kurt, if he is lost, or certainly they're going to assume that he's dead, will affect the characters because he was, like I think you've said, kind of a glue guy, kept things light, like the boys really liked him. But also it's going to be a plot advancer, I guess, with now we have Quinn on the ground. I'm very excited to see him attempt to get smuggled mm. back to England because I I don't see Quinn surrendering. That wouldn't be as fun. However, that could also be very interesting to see what a POW is and how they get treated. So if they go that route, either way, it's going to be interesting. And yeah, also they're in Africa. So I'm hoping yeah. they show us a resolution to how they get back to Thorpe Abbott. If, if that is their next destination. Exactly. Yeah, so I mean, their planes are pretty beat up. So we'll have to, that's, do some repairs, all that kind of stuff. Maybe they're stuck in Africa for longer than they want to be. Creates a little tension, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, I I just like to, and I just want to call it out again, when you're talking mm-hmm. about Kraz becoming more confident, feels like, obviously he's shaken because we see him kneel down, kiss the ground. But this yep. felt like a good mission for him and his role in the army and his comfortability in in the Absolutely. army in the army air force while everyone else is like sh- shell shocked losing a, maybe a little bit of confidence so that's yep. i think it's just like an interesting juxtaposition they saw him with the brown paper bag but he didn't puke this time which is which is a positive but also it seemed like last episode the head honchos have already taken note of his navigation abilities when they were eyeing him up for potentially the air executive or equivalent role for a navigator. I would imagine that this is a pretty impressive feat for a navigator to get yeah, through Germany by way of Belgium and all the way down south to Africa. That That's a pretty long mission. So yeah. I would assume he is going to get more praise. I hope he gets more praise from the higher ups. And I'm also excited to check in with Harding again because we really didn't see him until he gave that three hours to the IP. So I'm I'm excited to see how he reacts to the losses, to the successful mission. And again, I'm hoping we get a a face drop for this LeMay character who is yeah. a higher, higher up. I'm just excited, man. I mean, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we got a good, good show. show on our hands. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited for episode four. And I think for, for literally all of the reasons we just talked about. For sure. Would you say this was the best episode yeah. so far of the three? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I would agree without even mincing even though, words. You know, yeah, rip babyface, rip Kurt. Rip Kurt, for sure. But Rip Dicky. Rip Dicky. All of the other people whose mm-hmm. names maybe didn't latch on to us as hard, but it's just fucking compelling television. And yeah. I'm excited to see the Absolutely. next step of it. So. I will say, I think DeMarco made it through, but he wasn't really 
too heavy handed in this episode. Yeah. So our boy DeMarco from yeah, Philly yeah, is still yeah. alive. And always got always got to keep the thread out. Yeah, always got to keep the thread out for DeMarco. Absolutely. I think that's going to do it. Masters of the Air Part 3. We are definitely going to be back for Part 4 next week. As always, if you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BingetownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, YouTube, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcasts. And if you want to give us five stars, we wouldn't sue you. <laughs> Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.